Mark 10:46. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Again, uh, so good to see you and so good to be back with you this morning. I do want to take a minute and thank um, all of our elders for allowing Marianne and the kids and I time away. And uh, I'm just so grateful to have uh, leadership here at our church that loves us and uh, allows us to really do something that's pretty, pretty uncommon. Uh, I've been around pastors my whole life. My dad was a pastor for years and years and never got a sabbatical. And I'm so thankful uh, to our elders. So thank you. And also thank you to our staff, to Will and to Kevin and to Cassie and to Ann and to Tiffany. Thank you for serving us and caring for us. Um, as a church planner, it's always, uh, it's really fun to see a church develop to a place where I can leave for a while and everything's fine. So, uh, I might leave for a little bit longer next time. So it's, it's great to, to be back with you. Okay. Mark chapter 11 is, or excuse me, chapter 10 is what I want us to look at for a few minutes together this morning. When I was on sabbatical, I had the chance to do a lot of reading. Um, fresh illustrations are coming your way and, uh, also to consume some good new TV shows. The favorite show I watched this summer was Ted Lasso. Some of you might have seen Ted Lasso. Uh, pause here, parenthesis. Me saying something about a show in a sermon is not an endorsement of everything in that show. So this probably shouldn't be like family movie night with Ted Lasso. Beware of some of the content in the show. Don't go show it to your four-year-old because Pastor Luke said that it's a good show. But it is a good show for some of you more mature audience members. Ted Lasso is an American football coach. He coaches a D2 college team who is hired by a Premier League soccer club in England to coach that club. The, the funny thing is he knows nothing about soccer. Like I, as an American football fan, know nothing about soccer and hijinks ensue. The, the owner of this soccer club is a woman named Rebecca Welton, and she has recently divorced her adulterous, philandering husband and is in the middle of processing that grief when the show begins. And, and we learn early in the story that Rebecca has hired Ted in an attempt to completely sabotage the team. And by the way, that's a good way to sabotage a football team, to hire a coach that knows nothing about football. She's doing this to get back at her ex-husband who loved this soccer team more than anything else in the world. She wants, Rebecca, Ted Lasso to fail, and she's silently working against his interests throughout the early part of the show. But the thing about Ted Lasso 
is that he is unceasingly kind. He is persistently warm-hearted and positive and cheerful. And early in the show, Ted Lasso begins a habit. The first thing every morning when he gets to work, he brings to Rebecca, the owner, a box of biscuits. We call them cookies, but for some reason, British people call them biscuits. Um, and, And every morning, he has them waiting for her on her desk, or he brings them to her when she gets into her office. And and Rebecca, she doesn't want the biscuits. She doesn't want anything to do with Ted. She doesn't want to know Ted. She doesn't want to see Ted. And so she resists his attempts at friendship. She resists his attempts at generosity. She blows him off. She insults him. She ignores him. She's rude to him. And how does Ted Lasso respond? Y'all have got to watch this, this show. It's really good. He keeps bringing a box of biscuits every single morning. No matter what, no matter how he's treated, no matter how she receives him, no matter what insult she has for him. It's, it's a great picture of what that show is really all about, and I open with that this morning because I think it's also a great insight into the way God is with us. One thing I've been ruminating on and, and experiencing in my heart over my time away, is that God, the only real God, the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is persistently showing up in our lives every day and offering us his affection. Just like Lasso shows up every day with biscuits, God shows up every day in our lives offering us his love. And he keeps doing this. Whether we resist him or ignore him or verbally assault him or tell him, I want nothing to do with you. You see, it's in God's character to persistently love us. He can't help but be drawn to us in kindness. That's just who he is. I wonder if you know that about God. You might have been around church your whole life, and you might tell me as a pastor, yes, Luke, I know that about God, but I wonder if you know experientially that that's what God is like. Because knowing that about God has more transformational power than anything else in the universe. And so I want us just this morning to, to spend some time rejoicing through this story in the affectionate heart of God together. It's impossible for us to over-celebrate, to celebrate too much how much God loves us. This story, I think, shows us that beautifully. This is a story from Mark's gospel, as we see, and it exemplifies the heart of God for people like us. It's, it's actually the last miracle that Jesus performs during his earthly ministry. He's on his way into Jerusalem. You'll notice that the very beginning of Mark 11 is his triumphal entry into the city. <clears throat> And I've thought a lot about this story and and spent some time meditating and reflecting on this story during my time off. And and so I just want to share some reflections on it with you this morning as as we gather before the Father in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit for worship. So let me show you three things. First, this story tells us the kind of person Jesus wants to help. The kind of person Jesus wants to help. Mark, if you'll look in verse 46, tells us three things about Bartimaeus. It's easy to spot him. The first thing he tells us is that he was blind. We don't know when or or how Bartimaeus lost his sight, but we do know then as now that blindness had condemned Bartimaeus to a world of oppressive darkness, to a world of, of solitude. 
Of course, he's literally blind in the story, but, but it's also, if you're a, a Bible reader with some experience in the metaphors of Scripture, it's, it's impossible to resist seeing Bartimaeus as a personification of the problem that we all face because of sin. Sin blinds us spiritually. We're all spiritually blind on our own. We're all lost, groping around in the darkness, condemned to a life of confusion and loss. That's true for every single one of us unless Jesus meets us. So Bartimaeus is blind. The second thing we see is that Bartimaeus is a beggar. It makes sense that his blindness in ancient Palestine would would put him on the street. This was a world in which there were no government social programs to help the disabled and the powerless. It was a it was a harsh sentence. It was a harsh sentence to to have to deal with with a physical malady like blindness. So he's nothing in the eyes of his culture. He's blind. He's a beggar. And the third thing Mark tells us is that he's sitting by the roadside. Jesus at this point has a huge crowd following him. But Bartimaeus is on the road next to Jerusalem, coming out of Jericho, because he knows that the week to come is Passover week, and many people are going to be traversing this road, and maybe some people will be kind to him and give him an alm or, or, or some money. The, the picture that Mark paints for us of Bartimaeus' daily life is one where he lays on his blanket next to the dirty unpaved ancient road, covered in filth, smelling terribly, begging for people to show him some favor or give him some money. What's your gut reaction when you drive around our city and you're stopped at an intersection on an access road and there's a a homeless, presumably homeless person, a beggar next to your vehicle on the road? Just think about that internally. Do you, do you make sure the doors are locked? Roll the windows up? Avoid eye contact at all costs? Hope your kids don't ask any questions about it. Who is this person, Dad? Who is this person, Mom? And I suspect that it, most, if not all of us, have had those sort of internal reactions, whether we roll down the window and give that person some change or not. And here's what I want you to see. Jesus of Nazareth is different than we are. Jesus, who is the very image of God, who shows us what the real God is like, cannot help but be attracted to those we are most repulsed by. Jesus can't help but be attracted to those that we're most repulsed by. Who is it that Jesus, the very image of God, loves? Who is it that Jesus commits himself to being around Who is it that Jesus reaches out to? Dane Ortland has written a wonderful book called Gentle and Lowly. He writes this, Time and again, it is the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is, by his enemy's testimony, the friend of sinners. Dane Ortland is a good theologian. A better one is Bruce Springsteen who talks about this in one of my favorite songs of his, The Land of Hope and Dreams. Uh, if you know that song, the, the overarching metaphor in The Land of Hope and Dreams, I recognize I'm dating myself here by saying I love Bruce Springsteen, but I'm going for it anyway. It's too late now. 
Um, the overarching metaphor of that song is, is a train uh, rolling through the fields of America, picking up stragglers and ne'er-do-wells on its way to heaven, really. And, and the chorus of the song goes like this. We're actually going to sing it after the sermon's done. That was a joke, not really. Um, This train carries saints and sinners. This train carries losers and winners. This train carries whores and gamblers. This train carries lost souls. This train carries the brokenhearted. This train thieves and sweet souls departed. This train carries fools and kings. This train all aboard. He goes on to talk about how you don't need a ticket to get on the train. And I think that's what this text is telling us. If I can use Springsteen as a prism through which to see the scriptures. What is the ticket that will get you on board God's love? What's the ticket that will get you on board God's love? This is, this is the counterintuitive nature of the Christian gospel. The requirement, the, the ticket for friendship with God is unceasing neediness. It's to be completely helpless. That's the kind of person Jesus wants to help. In fact, we could say this. There's no way to truly encounter Jesus except through our weakness. There's there's no way to be healed by Jesus other than to be really, really sick. So how do you feel this morning? If, If you come here this morning and you feel sick or Well, actually, if you have COVID, stay home. But if you feel mentally, emotionally, spiritually sick, if you feel hurt, if you feel weak or or confused or broken or sinful, so much of our culture tells us that those are the people that shouldn't come to church. But Jesus says, you're exactly the kind of person who should be here because you're exactly the kind of person that he wants to help. Think about that in your own heart. Where are you most needy right now? Where are you most hurting? Maybe it's in a family member's struggle. Maybe it's in an addiction. Maybe it's a a bad marriage that has all kinds of scars. Maybe it's just a physical ailment that's only getting worse. Those are your tickets. Those are where you will meet with Jesus most deeply. Those qualify you for his love. The second thing the text tells us is the kind of request Jesus wants to hear. Look at verse 47, 48. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming. We don't know how he's heard or what he, or excuse me, what he's heard about Jesus, but it's clearly enough for him to do a little bit of sort of spiritual calculus real quick in his head as he's sitting there on the roadside and conclude, this guy can help me. This guy can heal me. And so what does Bartimaeus do? He screams out repeatedly, Verse 47, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That can also be translated. Jesus, son of David, have a heart for me. Have a heart for me. That, friends, is the beautiful cry of helpless trust in Jesus Christ. There's stunning irony in this story. I don't know if you caught it. The only person in this story who really sees Jesus is the blind man. The only person who really gets what Jesus is and what he came to do is is the guy that's physically unable to see. He he grasps Jesus' person. Look there, he calls him son of David. That's a confession that this man is the fulfillment 
of all of God's promises to his people. And Bartimaeus, he, he grasps Jesus' work. He knows who Jesus is and what he came to do. He says, have mercy. Have mercy. Have pity on me. Have a heart for me. More than anyone else in the story, blind beggar Bartimaeus has faith. He has faith to see what Jesus told us right before this story. Look in verse 45 of Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom from many. But Bartimaeus' cry here is, is like the cry of Psalm 72, verse 12, where the psalmist says, God delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. Blind Bartimaeus cries out. He makes a request of Jesus, heal me, have mercy on me. And moreover, his request is persistent, isn't it? This man's not going to be silenced. This was his opportunity. Something momentous was passing by. He might never get this chance again. He found himself a a beggar. He looks around, spiritually speaking, and says, I've got nothing to offer Jesus. He's poor. He's destitute. He's in need. And what does he do? He cries out. And then the religious people, which religious people tend to do, tell him to shut up. Stop asking for help. If the church has ever told you that, just ignore it. If pastors have ever told you that, ignore them. Never stop asking Jesus for help. Bartimaeus doesn't stop. The religious people's embarrassment's not going to silence him. He's not going to be silenced by the rebukes of the crowd. Bartimaeus is no scholar. But this blind man sees Jesus before him, and all he can think to do is call out until Jesus does something. That's what Jesus wants from you. Jesus wants you to desperately cry out to him for help. Jesus does not want you to figure your stuff out by yourself. Jesus doesn't want you to achieve and pull yourself together on your own. Jesus wants you to cry out of your emptiness and and neediness for him to help you because that's who he is. He he loves it when we cry out to him for help. And, And this story tells us that he will answer I could be personal with you for a minute. Many, many of you have been asking me, and I appreciate it, what I've been doing on my sabbatical. And, and I will tell you, we did a lot of fun stuff, but this was the most important thing. There, there was a lot of learning to cry out again to Jesus, asking Jesus for mercy, frankly, o- opening up my heart to his care, letting Jesus heal me and, and help me, and listening to Listening to Jesus' question. Let's get to that next. Third, and my favorite part of the story, the kind of question Jesus wants us to ask. Jesus stops, right, when he hears Bartimaeus, and he asks his disciples, verse 49, to call Bartimaeus over. And so Bartimaeus, and I love this part, he springs up. This is a whole different sermon in itself. We're just passing it by right now. Springs up, comes to Jesus when he hears that Jesus is stopping the caravan to meet with him there in verse 50. And then Jesus asks this seemingly simple but really deeply profound question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? But before we get to the question, uh, Again, I want, I want you to see, it's well worth noting that Jesus is drawn irresistibly to the most needy and broken. 
it's almost like Jesus just has to stop. He has to help Bartimaeus. Think about this. Jesus is entering the final week of his life, and he knows it. He's entering the most difficult week anyone in the history of humanity has ever experienced. I think that's a fair statement. He's about to enter into Jerusalem and face the powers of darkness. He's a week or so from from being tried by the Sanhedrin and, and abandoned by his best friends and put to death by crucifixion. He has to prepare for his work. What do you feel like when you've got a really, really busy week ahead that doesn't, by the way, include dying on a cross for the sins of humanity? You're, you're full in your head of all the stuff going on. I can imagine that Jesus in his humanity felt that way, but he stops and, and he listens to the cries of this poor, forgotten, blind guy on the side of the road because Jesus can't be held back when he sees people in pain. Did you hear that? Jesus cannot be held back when he sees you in pain. Why? Because that's who he is. Jesus, and this is why Christianity is so uniquely beautiful among the religions of the world, Jesus knows what it's like, literally, to be Bartimaeus. The author of Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but instead, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ, Hebrews also tells us, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same Jesus who helped Bartimaeus when he cried out for mercy in this story is here today, right now, and he wants to help you. In reality, Jesus is closer to every one of you if you're in Christ right now than he was to Bartimaeus then. Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into your hearts so that you can cry out in the Spirit, Abba, Father, and know that Jesus hears you. I want you to hear this. Jesus' heart for you has not changed. In your sin and and in your hurt and in your barrenness and in your weakness, Jesus' loving heart is not running away from you. He's running towards you. He flows He flows like the Mississippi flows to its destination towards hurting people with grace. So you can take your hurts and you can take your failures to Jesus and you can ask him exactly what Bartimaeus asked him. Have mercy. Back to the story. What do you want me to do for you? (laughs) I mean, isn't that obvious? Bartimaeus has already said, I want you to have mercy on me, Jesus. I want you to open up your heart to me. But now Jesus stops and, and with his piercing insight really is asking Bartimaeus, well, how? What do you need? What, what's the problem you have? And I find this to be just fascinating. Presumably, this beggar has often asked people for help, for alms, for, for a donation. Maybe Jesus is wondering if that's what Bartimaeus wants. Maybe Bartimaeus wants Jesus to pray for him because he's got this reputation as a powerful rabbi. Maybe he wants Jesus just to touch him. There are unquestionably all kinds of incidental and important needs that Bartimaeus must have had. But, but Jesus, listen, Jesus wants to heal Bartimaeus' deepest hurts. Jesus desires to go deeper with Bartimaeus, other than throwing him a few denarii and continuing on the road. 
And so he asks this question to see how much help Bartimaeus really wants. And listen, Bartimaeus wants it all. Bartimaeus liberally asks of Jesus. Christmas time this year, my dad was in town visiting. And a couple days before Christmas, he and I were out running some errands. And Ben, my nine-year-old, was in the back seat with us driving around. And my dad and I were talking about all kinds of different things as Ben sort of silently listened in the back. And my dad and I will often talk about investments and the stock market and various opportunities and help each other and give each other tips, etc. And my dad was saying, you know, I've got $10,000 available. I realize how that might sound to some of you. You might think that's nothing. Some of you might think that's a ton of money. Just let me tell the story, okay? Uh, he's, I've got $10,000, and uh, I'm trying to figure out what to do with it. Should I invest it here? Should I put it in real estate, et cetera, et cetera? So he and I are kind of talking through that, and we move on. And we're talking about other things. And, and then my dad said, hey, you know, Ben, how you doing back there, buddy? Ben's like, great. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be here. What do you want for Christmas? And without missing a beat, Ben, $10,000. $10,000, Dad. Dad didn't give it to him, by the way, <laughs> that I know of. Is that right? He didn't give it to you. Okay, good. Um, ben wanted it all. And not the exact same, but similar to what Bartimaeus is asking of Jesus. He believes that the Father loves him enough to give him lavish gifts. He believes that Jesus can give this to him and wants to give it to him. What do you want me to do for you? That's the question Jesus asked to to cut to the chase. And Bartimaeus says, I want to be healed. I want to see. What do we most want Jesus to do for us? Interestingly enough, Jesus asked this exact question to two of his best friends in the immediately preceding story. Remember that? You can look. It's in Mark 10, verse 36. He asked James and John, the brothers, what do you want me to do for you? And their response, Mark 10, 37, was, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left hand, in your glory. Now, the disciples, per the usual, are not aware of their true needs. You see, they ask in a posture of fullness, whereas Bartimaeus asks in a posture of emptiness. And... What they think they need most is is power, authority, prestige, and position. And Jesus responds to them, you don't know what you're talking about. But Bartimaeus, the blind guy, he knows. The blind guy can see truly. He wants Jesus to give him the greatest healing gift he can imagine to recover his sight. And here's the main thing I want you to take, friends, this morning. Jesus is still asking you. Jesus is asking you right now, from the right hand of the Father in heaven, through his ministry to us in the life-giving spirit, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking you that because Jesus wants to help you. Jesus loves to help and to heal even more than you love being healed and helped. Jesus is waiting for you to ask him to meet your needs, to to heal your wounds, to comfort your sorrows. Now, don't get a picture of Jesus as some impotent, uh, spurned lover wanting you to call him. That's not who Jesus is. He's the king, but he also is the servant who loves you and longs to have a relationship with you and, and to help you. He's waiting for you to ask. That's what faith does, you see. We tend to believe, we tend to believe that Jesus is hesitant with us. 
that he's hesitant in his desire to give us gifts. We tend to think that he's going to get tired of us asking, that he's going to tell us to take care of it ourselves, that, that he's too busy, you know, running the universe and other sorts of things. But the scriptures do not say that. No, they say that Jesus loves it when we persistently ask. Listen, if Jesus loves you enough to die a savage, brutal death, and bear the curse of sin on his shoulders for you to pardon your guilt, then surely Jesus loves you enough to abide with your pleading prayers. We also tend to resist because we might not like his answer, we think. We also don't ask him for things and for help because we say to ourselves, what if I ask for healing and Jesus doesn't give it? Let me say two things to that real quick. First, you won't get from him what you don't ask for. James chapter 1 says, you do not have because you do not ask. But second, even if God doesn't answer in the timing or the manner in which you want or in which you hope, the act of asking, the act of pleading shapes and molds our hearts towards his There's all kinds of examples of this in the scripture. Perhaps the most famous one is Paul himself, the great apostle, asked God to take away what he calls his thorn, some sort of deep suffering that abided with him, some deep struggle that he had. He tells us about that at the end of 2 Corinthians. He pleads with God. He begs God to take it away, and God says no. Why? It's not because he didn't love Paul. It's not because he was angry with Paul. It's not because he wanted to punish Paul. God says no because God thought the best thing for Paul was to remain weak. Because 2 Corinthians 12 tells us his grace was sufficient for him and his power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. God thought that it was a better answer to Paul's prayer to assure him that he was with him in his hurt than to take his hurt away. That might be the answer God gives you as well. And the only way to live joyfully with that is to live in the prayerful presence of the giver of all good gifts. My main takeaway about Jesus from my own sabbatical is that he's still asking me what he can do for me. What do you want me to do for you? He still exists for me as a servant, he's my king. But he is a king who continually, even now, gives himself for me. He loves me that much. I want you, friends, brothers, sisters, beloved church, to listen to Jesus' voice and to hear him say to you that he loves you, that he wants to help you, that he wants to heal you, and then I want you to tell him what you most need. And then I want you to do what Bartimaeus did. The very end of the story tells us to follow Jesus. We, we don't follow Jesus along the way of the cross so that he will heal us. We follow Jesus along the way of the cross because he has healed us already. We don't follow Jesus so that he will give us sight, but because once we were blind, but now by his grace we can see. The love of Jesus inspires and, and it empowers us to follow Jesus. And listen, friends, I want to do that 
together with you, I want us to believe that Jesus is just that kind. He's just that loving. He's just that wonderful. Let's pray.